Magical customer experiences don't happen by accident. They happen through careful planning and meticulous design. Kevin and Debbie have been engineering extraordinary customer experiences for over 30 years. Join us as we explore corporate culture, branding, service excellence, and much more through storytelling, technical curiosity, and friendly conversation. The Disney way for the digital age will be revealed. Wow, folks, welcome to episode 10 and our season finale of season one, Operations Recap, season one review with our dramatic cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, Deb, do you believe this is number 10? We were just last week, it feels like we were saying, let's try this podcasting. I think we might have something interesting to say. It, this went so fast. When we talked about doing 10 episodes weekly and so forth, it just seemed like so far away. And yet, here we are. Here we are. And now we're embarking upon the challenge of recapping. This is a recap of season one. So we're going to fit uh, several hours of information into about 20 Yeah, I, I was going to say, so how much time do we have for this? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try not to go over 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so interesting, you know, I got to admit, I've gone back and listened to some of the episodes yes. and just see, you know, and they're interesting. But what I found interesting about the opening, you mentioned as you're introducing yourself and reviewing your career, you said, I'm an operation girl at heart. And I love operation. And I said, maybe I got to ask Deb, what's behind that? That That's a great question. And and when you and I were talking uh, the other day, and we mentioned this, and I thought, I really have to think about this because it always seems mm. so natural for me. But what I, I realized was is that I love being in the thick of things, right? Over the years, I had opportunities to move up. I, I had I moved up into various upper-level positions, which was great. But when I was offered other opportunities to go higher, I turned it down because I felt like it removed me from the operation. And the higher mm. you go, the more you're removed from the operation, which is logical. And thank heavens there are people who want to, to do those things. But what I like about being in the thick of things, you know, the boots on the ground, as you will, is that you are completely involved. So I'm not talking about micromanaging. I'm talking about being completely involved with my teams. We work together. We problem solve together. We celebrate together. And at the end of a hard day, when you know you you did great things despite the challenges that popped up during the day, it it's a very rewarding feeling. Uh, it, I've had administrative yeah. roles a couple of times and I was bored out of my mind. I just <laughs> like to be in the thick of things. And for some reason that I haven't really been able to explain, um, I'm especially fond of manufacturing plant type environments and uh, restaurants and kitchens. If I have the opportunity to go backstage into a kitchen with one of my clients, I just stand there and I get this wave of warm nostalgia. So oh my I'm God, watching the hustle great. and the bustle and the chefs, you know, giving directions. Oh. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, I missed this. <laughs> well, there really is nothing like it. Yeah. People throw that phrase around, I think. But mm -hmm. I, there's really nothing like it in that you um, any moment something new oh. could happen. I think, yeah. you know, admin sitting at your desk, you know, yeah, maybe a. Uh, an unexpected email could drop in your inbox, but nothing like being, as you said, <laughs> yes. boots on the ground, you know, as you, I think you said, uh, 
So I'm in the kitchen and and the grill goes, you know, the I actually you had a spe- very specific name for it. Yeah, the broiler, the broiler, the broiler master, and we I used to <laughs> do uh, be a, a leader at the Pinocchio Village House back in the day when it was all oh. fried chicken, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm telling you, everything would be going great right up until noon. And if that doggone broiler master was going to go down, it did it right <laughs> in the middle of lunch rush, you know. And then yeah. it was all hands on deck, hamburgers on the trays, move everything to the grill. <laughs> You know, and so, but at the end of all that, as stressful as it could be, you thought we went around high fiving each other, you know, saying, Yeah, 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 we did it. (laughs) I think I've seen that in many movies, right? The montage of the craziness, and then the, you know, people leave, and there's a team in the back. Yeah. You know, and then the the high fives and the the celebrations. So, yeah, nothing like it. I agree. So we're going to use operations as a lens to do this recap. Yeah. We, we kind of, as we're going through this with each other, saying maybe operationalizing is what this is all about, right? What 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 is, um, you know, that love for operations? So mm-hmm. we understand this is a tight time limit. So we're going to go lightning round. We've got about eight or nine topics. Um, Coincidentally, eight or nine episodes, right? How'd that happen? Um, and so I think in about three minutes, we might it might hit it right on the nose. So, you know, uh, if you remember, if you've listened, um, we jumped right into dark years at Disney and uh, Deb's experience and living through it. I heard about it and it was incredibly engaging story and uh, amazing that we thought this um, untouchable pixie dust fairy tale castle place could never have a problem. And we jumped right into the dark years. Mm-hmm. And And one of the things that caused that, as you know, was that Disney became very complacent and they had not been assessing their culture and the changes in the guest expectations, they just kind of got to the point where they thought, eh, you know, we're Disney. People are going to come no matter what. And of course, they did not. And when they did, they were not happy. And it made the company ripe for a takeover. And that's when we entered the dark years. And Michael Eisner came to save the day. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I mean, those were tough years. And I think, you know, it was also, uh, there was competition they hadn't anticipated before. Um, They thought they invented the business, which they kind of did. But they weren't the only ones that could do it. Like like most businesses, you can be number one and people start to emulate not only your product, but the way you do things because not always patentable. Mm-hmm. So they had people creeping up on them. Um, Judson Green gives the footstep speech, introduces service excellence. Right. And, um, and you lived through all that. Yes. And uh, it was a very stressful time and ultimately uh, an exciting time, but a very stressful time. And the the thing that brought us out of the dark here is not the thing, but the many things was operationalizing the culture. And also, in other words, figuring out who are we? What are we all about? Well, number one, we were about creating those magical experiences for the guests. That's what brings them back again and again and again. Uh, we lost we lost sight of that. And then operationalizing that means, well, exactly how do we do it? If we right. look at that element of the culture, what are the strategies, the policies, the, the procedures, the tactics that are employed to execute delivering that magical experience to the guests? 
And that's when the service standards and the behavioral standards and the uh, the promise to the to the guests that was revised. All of those things were put in place on paper for the first time because part of operationalizing that element of the culture was to be sure that every cast member that was hired understood what it meant to give magical experiences specifically within their role, whether they're sweeping the streets or running attractions or scooping ice cream cones. And so right. for the first time ever, it was put on paper in order to wow. make sure that it was consistently trained and taught and operationalized, if if you will. Right. You know? Yeah, it was memorialized, put on paper and, and put, in, put down in a way that people understood, oh, this is why I'm here, right? So uh, purpose statement, why do I show up? Nope, it's not a mission statement. Nope, it's not a vision statement. This is simply the purpose statement. What's my purpose? I'm showing up and what? Okay, yeah. No, the, the purpose statement was, well, it, originally it, it was, we create happiness by providing the finest in family entertainment. As the company grew, that needed to be something different so that people realized that Disney was a place for everyone, not just people with kids. So right. it was then changed. We create happiness by providing the finest in entertainment for people of all ages everywhere. But all we asked our cast members to remember was you create happiness. Just come in every day and do the things we taught you to create happiness. That's all you have to remember. Right. Um, right. So very, very simple, but it was a very simple way to operationalize that concept of what is the overarching goal that we are striving for every single day, period. Yeah. Right. And, you know, how do we help folks understand why that matters to them? Well, underneath of that, you know, what does that look like? So as we've seen, we've been hired by folks to say, um, actually, one of them said, I want my team to deliver CX magic, right? Customer experience magic. Right. But he never told them how. Yes. So and I get that, right? It's like go to one person, it's be friendly. To one person, it's, you know, be knowledgeable. What does it look like for your brand? So Disney said, well, actually, we can get more specific. So they created the um, service standards. And well, and an example of why that's so important to be specific is when I was working with that particular company. And I interviewed many, 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 many of their employees. And I actually had one gentleman say to me, I do give excellent service. I didn't even yell at anybody today. <laughs> right. <laughs> but his in his mind, that was his perception of how you give excellent service. I didn't yell at a customer today, no matter right. how frustrating they were. Um, so you have to be specific about what does it mean to give exceptional service, to create happiness, or you know, create CX magic, whatever, whatever that is that you're striving for. And at my first attendance to Disney Institute, finding out that you could do that. That was the thing. It was like, wow, you know, everybody thought it's just in, it's in the ping pong and the free granola bars. And it's, yeah. it's you know, no, you can actually operationalize that and, and be very specific. Mm -hmm. So uh, service standards and the standards of behavior, service standards support your purpose statement. Standards of behavior are very specific uh, descriptions of behaviors that support those service standards. Right. And that's something that we go very deep into, I think around episode four or five. So we invite you to listen because this could be three episodes in itself. So, right. you know, just this idea, and I'll pass it back to Deb, operations girl, this idea that operationalizing your culture is possible. It is. And it gets back to, we had talked earlier about looking at 
every element of your culture on a regular basis, just stepping right. back and doing a review, assessing how are we doing today? Are we still recruiting right fit employees? Are we hiring right fit employees? How are we onboarding right fit employees? Um, how are we training them on the job and beyond? These things are all elements of your culture. Your culture in your company actually just means how you get business done every day. So right. there are many, many, many elements of your culture. Take a few of the big ones that have the biggest impact on the customer experience and step back from time to time and say, how are we doing? Have changes dictated that maybe we should change how we do this? And then right. how are we going to operationalize these new concepts or these new ideas? In other words, how are we going to communicate it? Um, how are we going to execute this new policy or procedure, for example, right. to make this happen in a better way? Uh, and that's what it means. It's it's a lot of work, but it's really quite a simple concept. It gets to that yep. thing of it's simple but not easy, you <laughs> right. know, right? And that's what uh, I think it was Johnny Ives at Apple said. It's taking something complex and making it simple mm -hmm. is one of the greatest creative uh, endeavors you can embark on. Absolutely. Well, with that, I'm going to push us on to the three pillars supporting an extraordinary customer experience. Culture is one of them, of course, right? So culture yeah. is one of the three pillars. And I think we've covered that in depth. Brand is the second pillar. Brand is that way that your brand, uh, whether it's represented by your logo, by a touchpoint experience that you're having, but how does it make the consumer feel? What is that emotion? I feel proud. I feel uh, powerful. I feel love. You know, what is that experience, that, uh, that, that emotion that your brand makes people uh, feel uh, as they experience your brand? And, you know, when you talk about branding, it's all those touch points. And we'll, we'll move, move to that shortly. But, you know, you reinforce your brand and evoke those emotions and all the different touch points, whether it's walking into a park and, and, and or walking into a retail establishment, which not everyone has uh, as part of their brand. But, you know, a TV commercial, a radio commercial, a social media post and another social media post mm -hmm. um, and your parking lot and all those things will get into much more depth. But so brand and culture, as we said in the episode where we featured this, you know, we believe that brand and culture are inextricably combined. Mm -hmm. They are not, they are one and the same. One supports the other. So, you know, the original name of the book, I think, was The Culture of Brand. So <laughs> we're very committed to that idea. Right, right. It's no mistake that so much advertising, if you watch commercials, the commercials where you remember the product or the service that are being presented are emotional. Yeah. Yeah. You, you remember uh, what was the old telephone company commercial, Reach Out and Touch Someone? And they showed these very touching communications, you know, like the, the elderly mom talking to the daughter because they're far away. It's the best commercials. The things that I remember yeah. are those that evoke some kind of emotion. Your brand should evoke some type of emotion, hopefully positive. If it isn't, then you, you have work to do. But right. someone should be able to throw out the name of your company and have people say, oh, I love doing business with them or that Kevin is the best. And if you ever need anything, he's right there for you. Those are the kinds of things you want people to say. And that's a huge part of, of brand. And it doesn't come about unless you are properly administering the elements of your culture. 
Absolutely. And then, you know, we also introduced the idea of the internal external uh, customer, right? External yeah. customer mm -hmm. we're all familiar with. That's who we're trying to get to buy our stuff or use our service. The internal customer being our team from top to bottom. Yeah. So, you know, um, everything we do needs to um, reinforce that not only for our internal external customer, but our internal customer as well. Mm -hmm. And and the third pillar, technology, right? So it's the, it's the bent that we're on here is, is, yes, the Disney way has been talked about before, but we're really focused on this idea of bringing technology into it because it is a fact of our life, right? This is not the same world it was 15 years ago or even five. I remember when I had to wait several minutes to download a single song. So the idea <laughs> that we're doing, you know, full motion video and audio from, you know, around the globe is pretty amazing. So how does technology fit into your company and fit alongside a brand and culture? So, yeah. you know, technology certainly is a, um, uh, there's been plenty of innovative technology in the branding world. The idea that we've um, experience the world through social media, through um, searching things on Google and our favorite search engine. So that has certainly given us new opportunities to connect um, through brand and the culture, how you operate. What what was the description, Deb? Uh, it's how we do how we do business. Yeah, culture is just how is it that you get your business done every day. And if technology hasn't influenced that, go mm -hmm. in an exponential trajectory. Yeah. You know, it's the the technology piece uh, is to me is a huge win if it's done right. It has to align with your culture. It has to deliver on the, your your promise and and all of the things we've yeah. been talking about. We sometimes say these things, and it sounds like we're always talking about that um, customer facing person. But the fact is, I love chat features if they work properly. The other right. day I had to call customer service for one of my dad's credit cards. I was literally on hold for an hour. Oh, I mean, I just put it on speaker and was getting other other work done. If he'd had to do this, he never would have done that. He, right. You know, he right. would not have done that. I uh, looked for a chat feature that wasn't available. I would much rather have a chat feature where I can get online and connect with someone that way because I get immediate answers. And I'm a right. big fan of chat bots when they're done really well. And meaning yep. that if no matter what we do, they can't, that chat bot isn't sophisticated enough to get me where I need to be. It's sophisticated enough to say, let me put you through to a customer service representative. Exactly. Just sitting on the phone for an hour. And then I didn't get great results either. So I was quite irritated. Um, that's, gosh, yeah. that's old school. That is just so, that'll put a black mark on your brand quicker than anything oh, you yeah. can do. Yep. And I think customer service is the thing that we've seen over the years, uh, the most evident out in the marketplace, right? Mm. Um, brands have sensational customer service and then it, then it wanes or, uh, insidious decline as you <laughs> mentioned earlier yeah. on, right? Right. Um, and then they find themselves with the worst yeah, customer service reviews on the planet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to constantly take a look at that. Yeah. So from here, we're going to move into the six questions to ask to evaluate your culture, right? Mm -hmm. So give you a little head start. How do I even, you know, what? how do I know where I'm at, where I'm going? So Deb, I'm going to have you walk folks through that one quickly. Sure. There are just six questions you need to ask. You should ask this on a regular basis in order to assess your culture, making sure you're keeping up with delivering on your guests' needs and wants. Who are we today? What's working now? What's not 
working or what's missing is the third question. The fourth, what will it take to move us forward? The fifth is, do we understand our core customers, their needs and wants? And where does technology fit within our culture? Those six questions, if you can answer those questions, are going to take you uh, giant leaps forward and staying on top of whether or not you're, you're building on your brand. Those are the six things to constantly consider. If you ask those once a quarter, once every six months, you will be on top of it. And it's pretty quick if you keep up with it. Right. And of course, the best way to ask many of these questions is to ask that front line. Don't forget to involve your frontline employees and don't forget to involve your customers. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people avoid it because they're afraid of the answers. Yes. But you know, avoiding that, that, you know, avoiding addressing that there's a problem is not a good fix. No. Um, and there's nothing, nothing to be ashamed about is if you uncover issues mm -hmm. because you could be doing the best job, um, but still, you know, oh, actually, this is the perfect uh, segue into our, our cycle of growth. Mm -hmm. So chaos is part of that cycle. So you could be doing everything just right. But when you do that, you typically grow. And when you grow, there's a little bit of chaos because, well, there's more people, maybe a whole new department. So you got to go through that analysis, which is what we're talking about. And then you add structure to address you right. know, the, the challenges that you've had. So um, cycle of growth is structure, right? So when you, even when you start a company, there's structure. Yeah. Um, hopefully there's growth. From growth, you get chaos. And you have to do a little analysis to figure out what kind of structure you need to put back. And it's, it's different every time, right? Maybe yes. it's technology heavy one time you analyze. Maybe it's people heavy or process heavy the next time. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So another tool we introduced was the creative brief. I, uh, you know, I come from creative agency, uh, interactive agency for over 20 years. And I always found the creative brief a great place to start, not just for a creative campaign, for just about anything. And, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward. There's, there's no magic there. But the idea, uh, like most of this, is that you go through the process, right? So it's the process of structuring the examination that really makes it work. So, you know, this idea of define your objective, make sure you understand who your audience is. That's one we, that's overlooked very often, right? Your audience isn't the folks in the room, especially not C-suite is usually sitting around talking about what we want to do next, right? Mm -hmm. Your audience, make sure you really understand who you're providing services for or who you're marketing your product to. Uh, what is that key insight? What is that unique selling proposition? What do we do different in a world that's becoming more and more commoditized. What are we doing different? And I use that shoe example, right? I can get the Nike Zimzam anywhere, right? On the same site, but why don't I go to buy it from one site then more than the other? And, and Zappos was one of the leaders because of customer service. And then what's that promise that supports that insight, right? Uh, we have the best customer service and free returns. We promise uh, that you'll have a no hassle return if you get your shoes and they don't fit. Mm -hmm. Got to give folks reasons to believe um, I think you should be keenly aware of a desired response. What's the conversation you want people to have after they've experienced your brand? And then take a look at what your brand personality is. Are you a Jerry Seinfeld? Are you a, hmm. uh, <laughs> are you a Leonardo DiCaprio? You know, <laughs> are you a De Niro, right? <laughs> or, you know, so uh, sometimes you can use that, that personality uh, assimilation, a celebrity, a sports person, but really in all seriousness, your personality is whether you're, um, are, you, are you a funny brand? Or are you a casual brand? Are you a buttoned up brand? So understand your brand personality too. And that's a quick recap of the creative brief. All right. 
So we talked a little bit about your audience, right? And I think it's important to, once you understand your audience, understand all the different ways that you create touch points. And people think of, well, my TV commercial, my social media, but I love uh, Deb's examples that are, you know, real world. Mm -hmm. And those are, when you talk about touch point mapping, you have to think about every example of every place a customer will experience your business. And one of my favorite examples, it makes the point and it's simple, is go to your favorite restaurant, right? And you pull into the parking lot and there's potholes in the parking lot and your your car falls into a pothole and you wonder if you broke an axle and um, <laughs> the valet guys are too busy to help you and you're standing there waiting by the car for 20 minutes. All of those things, those are touch points. You look at the building, the neon sign is partway burned out and it spells a bad word. <laughs> the parts of it are lit up, right? You go in the front door and is the hostess there? Is she polite? Is she dressed neatly and, and professionally? Does she greet you nicely, takes you to your table? You're looking around, is the restaurant clean? Uh, the server, does she come up in a timely manner or, or at least tell you, gee, I'll be with you as soon as I can? All of these are touch points. Think about how many touch points you experience just in going out to eat. One well, time. I was going to say, I was going to yeah. stop you because you haven't even put a piece of food in your mouth. No, no. And we've we rolled out about yeah. six touch points. Yes, right. right. And, and that's, you know, and that's, again, real world. This mm -hmm. In the digital world, same thing. Uh, go to the website. Is the website easy? Yes. Easy to use? Can I find what I need to find? If there is a chat feature, is it live? Is it a chat bot? Is the chat bot dumb or smart? <laughs> is it useful <laughs> or frustrating? <laughs> right. So all these things, we think about the end so often, the product and the service, which, of course, Yes, you need to do that. Yeah. But that's table stakes, right? You mm -hmm. and seven other people are doing that. Pretty much probably about the same. What are all these other touch points that surround it? And that's that sphere of influence that we talk about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, this the world used to be kind of in this, we use the um, linear value chain, oh, yeah. which is now really a, a sphere of, of value, the way that you can jump over different pieces of that previously right. linear chain. So same thing goes for your touch points. It's a, it's a sphere of influence. And all these things have to be, they don't have to be perfect. In the words of our friend, Peter Shankman, um, be brilliant at the basics. Everything else will fall in place. Yeah. If you're just meet expectations, meet expectations on all these touch points. You don't have to have a, a gold-plated parking lot, right? You just need one that doesn't break your car. You don't need <laughs> someone who does cartwheels when you come in the door. You need someone who makes some eye contacts and, and seems genuinely interested in getting you a seat you like. You know, so yeah. it is not rocket science, but just be brilliant at the basics. Mm -hmm. And all these different touch points that create a sphere of influence, there's an opportunity, so many opportunities. Each one of those is an opportunity mm -hmm. to be to create magic. Yeah. So, you know, and then with that, once you get all of this figured out, things change, right? <laughs> right. The, I mean, the business world is constantly changing. Every time you turn around, there's something new and you're constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses or just keep up. Right. And so you have this sphere of influence. You've got all your touch points identified. You've, you've got everything is rolling right along and then everything changes. <laughs> so this idea of adapt or die, you know, to what do I need to adapt? Do I need to adapt to everything? Probably not. Do I need this technology over here just because this person is using it? Maybe not. But adapting and innovating should always be in the back of your mind. And that right. goes with analyzing your 
constantly your culture, how you're operationalizing that culture. Is your brand still strong? What kinds of emotions do you evoke? Using this this fear of influence maybe as a, as a guide, but you have to be constantly looking at that because we live in a world of constant change. You know, right. That's the only thing we can count on. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, that that old saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I always say, not necessarily. If you always do what you've (laughs) always done, you may fail. (laughs) Right. You You won't even get what you've gotten in the past because the rest of the world is outpacing you. Right. Right. You're not even adapting. You're falling behind and you will die. So, you know, this idea of innovate, adapt or die um, Mm -hmm. comes with a risk, right? And how do you manage that risk? We've got a few ways to operationalize that risk and help you understand um, and just not fly by the seat of your pants. But what I will say before we get into that really quickly is this idea of adapt is not, um, some people say, well, I want to be an innovator. And that is not always the way to go. Mm-hmm. I will remind folks that Apple, one of the most innovative companies on the planet, was a follower in the beginning in that they did not invent the mouse. They got that from Xerox. You know, they didn't invent Windows. They got that from Microsoft. So, you know, this idea of looking at your competition, what are others doing and adapting, that's fine. There's no embarrassment no. there. And it's it's not only fine, it's needed, right? And only from that place of of security and comfort can you then truly innovate. So this idea of innovate, adapt, or die is a real thing. And you said something really important, and it reminded me that the word adapt is different than the word adopt. Oh, yeah. So if you've got competition or someone that you know uh, that is doing something in such an exceptional way that it's driving exceptional success, and you say, I need a piece of that pie, right? (laughs) You should not look at adopting what they do because what they're doing for their culture, for their brand, for their business may be different than yours. But you can certainly say, what is it that they're doing that's making them so successful and adapt it to your business? And there's a real difference between those two words. Absolutely. And if if you take one piece of advice from us today, that might be the one to take. Um, Which brings me to... Our final, Deb, our final greatest piece of advice you'll ever get, we think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This one's going to be a a little long-winded because it comes along with, you know, summing up so many, so many episodes and so many concepts. But I'll start and and, um, Deb and I'll kind of teamwork on this Mm -hmm. one. But we think the best advice you'll ever get, we think, this week is work on the business, look at your business, analyze it. And just allocate some time to step back from the business and answer the question, is my culture happening to me or is it as I designed it and as aligned with my vision, right? Mm-hmm. So I love movie quotes. Uh, this is technically a TV show, but as Jeff Daniels said in the opening scene from Newsroom, the first step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. Yeah. And by the way, go back and watch that. I love that. Best written and acted five minutes of TV, Aaron Sorkin and Jeff Daniels. But anyway, to you, Deb, what do you think? The, the last thing I would have to say about that, because I think it really sums it up, and we've we've talked about all of the tangible elements of driving a successful business, I would say have fun. Yeah. You're not having fun in your business. You should not be in that business. When it stops being fun, sell the business or walk away from the business or do, yeah. or do something else, charge another hill. But you have yeah. to, to love what you do. Not only 
if you work in a corporation, but running your own business, you have to love what sure. you do. When it's not fun anymore, stop doing it. Because you yeah. you will then not do the due diligence to keep your brand strong because you don't care anymore. Yeah. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. That's yeah. what I always say. Yes. <laughs> so, well, we promised you a cliffhanger and uh, here we go. So we enjoyed this. We hope you enjoyed this. Um, so will there be a season two? That is the cliffhanger, right? Well, uh, what we hope to do in season two, if there is an interest, and that's what we're asking folks, reach out. Let us know if you like this. Let us know if you think we should do a season two. And what David mentioned, what we what we maybe will do in season two is tell you how to get this stuff done, right? We we told you uh, what it takes to deliver exceptional experiences, uh, but in season two, maybe we'll tell you how to make your culture change. How do you make all this happen? What do you think, Deb? I think that's that's perfect. We've laid the foundation, and what I'd like to do in season two, if people are interested, is get to the nuts and bolts the tactics and the strategies of how you actually do this. Because sometimes you listen to these podcasts and you think, uh, well, geez, that's really great, but I don't have a clue on how to get started. And that used to happen to us at the Disney Institute all the time. People would say, this is so great. I haven't got a clue what to do next. Can you come to <laughs> yep. my business? You know, and then unfortunately, yeah. back in those days, the answer was always no. We we tell you how we do it. You got to figure it out for yourself. So. For me, it's much more rewarding to be part of helping them to figure out what are those strategies and tactics? What do they look like? So that is absolutely where I hope we get to go in season two. And if the, our listeners go to www.disneywaydigital.com, many of the key points of these lessons, these conversations, and these uh, informational sessions that we've been talking about are there with graphics and visuals and and so they might help you get started so Absolutely. i would encourage you to to go to the website and take a look at all the great work that kevin's team has done to make these uh, understandable for you yeah, yeah. And, and please, while you're there, DisneyWayDigital.com, reach out. We want to hear. That's how, that's when we'll make a season two. If we don't hear, eh, we had fun. You know, maybe we put some good information out in the world. But we'd like to see if folks are listening, if they're interested. There's contact information. You can contact Everi. So, yes. you know, send an email. And you know what? We actually answer. So let <laughs> us know, you know, if you're listening on Apple, leave us a review. Or wherever you're listening, let us know what you think. And I, I just want to tie a nice bow on this. And I thought, you know, Deb, as much as you love Disney, and let's tie it back to operations, what would what in the world would ever make you leave that organization? And it was the fact that you wanted to help folks operationalize yes. this for themselves. Because yeah. as part of Disney, you weren't able to, you know, say yes and go to their businesses. Right. That was what it took to say, yeah, I think I really want to help folks. That, that was exactly what it was. Not that I had fallen out of love with the Disney organization, and I still have a fond place in my heart. Uh, and you will even hear me say we when I'm talking about my past experience at Disney. I just can't let it go, you know? Um, yeah. But that was exactly it. I just felt like with my operational experience and with what I had taught at, for the Disney Institute, that I could actually help people make these things happen for them. And, and I did, and you I did. have, and it's been a fabulous ride, and I hope to keep doing it forever. <laughs> Even yeah. if I have to go out there with me. my walker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of a better way to finish up a season and talking about that. And that's pretty much how we met. So it is. 
Folks, we really appreciate you listening. Let us know how you feel. Go to DisneyWayDigital.com. Deb, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And uh, hopefully we get to do a season two. And thanks to Taryn and all of the support team that, you know, oh, yeah. you, you hear our voices, but, but they make the magic happen. So thank you to Taryn, Stephen Byram, uh, our guest speakers, everyone that has, has been involved behind the scenes. Couldn't do it without you. So thank you. 100% agree. Thanks, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to the Disney Way for the Digital Age. Our producer and engineer is Stephen Byram, show coordinator Taryn Pre-Trahan, and voiceover by Cindy Clifford. Kevin and Debbie can be reached for free advice or paid consulting at Kevin at DisneyWayDigital.com or Debbie at DisneyWayDigital.com. A new episode is released each Tuesday morning. We hope you continue to listen. 